Today's show is brought to you by HANA. For the past few years, I've been taking HANA One, an all-natural daily superfood with 30 wild-harvested herbs and adaptogens to improve focus, boost immunity, and increase stamina. HANA also sources the purest, highest-quality ashwagandha and turmeric. To get 20% off your first purchase, visit HANA.com, that's H-A-N-A-H.com, and enter the code CHAMPION20. Hello and welcome to the Champion Conversations podcast, where my co-host, sports psychologist Jim Aframo, and I take you inside the mental game of high performers. If you've ever wanted to learn how elite athletes, coaches, creators, and entrepreneurs use their mindset to overcome setbacks, serve as great leaders and teammates, and achieve their full potential, then you've come to the right place. I'm Phil White, and we're glad you're listening today. Today's guest is Sean Waxman. With over 30 years of coaching experience, Sean is one of the most highly regarded weightlifting coaches around. Since opening Waxman's Gym in 2010, Sean has developed two World Championship team members, a Pan Am Championship silver medalist, three national champions, six national medalists, more than two dozen national-level weightlifters, and top CrossFit regionals and Games athletes. When not developing competitive weightlifters and CrossFitters, Sean works with athletes of all skill levels from a wide range of sports to help them develop great strength and power. Sean also has a great passion for helping other coaches learn to teach and coach weightlifting. His training methodologies and ability to make complex movement skills seem simple make him one of the most highly sought-after coaches and lecturers in the country. Sean, thanks so much for joining us today. Love being here. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much for having me. You bet. So tell us, you. it sounds like you fell in love, uh, really fell in love with weightlifting in college. Uh, I know that you played a lot of sports growing up, and you come from a very athletic family, uh, a family tree of great athletes. So tell us a little bit about you know, what happened in college where you're like, man, weightlifting is the thing I want to do most in the world and help others with it. Yeah, it was kind of, it was a, a few different, a uh, few different experiences kind of uh, paved my way towards uh, weightlifting. So first um, I threw, I, <laughs> I found the program bigger, stronger, faster, uh, which was a kind of a canned, um, strength and conditioning program that, uh, uh, that included the power clean. So, um, that sparked my interest in it, uh, in, in the power clean. So not, we're not quite at weightlifting yet. And then, um, when I had, I had shoulder surgery, uh, in college, my freshman year, I, I, I hurt my shoulder and, 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 um, my physical therapist was Rob Panarello, who's a really good strength coach, uh, as part of my, like kind of back to play last part of my physical therapy, he had me doing, uh, uh power cleans. So, you know, I, I kind of really experienced what they felt like. And I, and I thought, wow, this is a really powerful uh, training stimulus. And I really felt that like it was going to help me become a better, uh, a better athlete. And then when I decided I wanted to become a strength coach, I realized that, you know, the snatch and the clean and jerk were really for me were the hub 
of any good strength and conditioning program. And I felt like I wanted to, I needed a visceral understanding of what these movements uh, felt like, how they were performed, how they were coached, um, what they looked like, all of that. So I figured the best way to do that is to actually do it. So I, I said, you know, I'm going to become, once football stopped for me, I said, I'm going to jump into weightlifting, not so much to become a weightlifter, but so I can learn how to snatch and clean and jerk properly and teach it uh, better to my athletes. And it just so happened that uh, I became pretty good at it pretty quickly. I had qualified for nationals probably under six months of training. I said, wow, this is pretty cool. I don't have to hit somebody with my head. And I thought that, uh, you know, I, I really, I really love this. I really love the culture. I loved the daily grind of the training. I, I just loved everything about it. And I, you know, my, my quest to become a good coach left, left, uh, led me to become a, a kind of a lifelong lover of, of Olympic weightlifting. And I competed for almost, uh, probably right around a little under 10 years of uh, full time. And, um, that's kind of my journey into uh, Olympic weightlifting. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Um, obviously, there's a lot of hard work and diligence on your part and willingness to learn, Sean. But as Jim mentioned earlier, um, you have this background and on your, your breaking muscle bio, I know you've contributed a lot of content to them over the years. It says, Sean Waxman comes from a family three generations deep of national and world level athletes. Could you give us a little bit of insight into that? Uh, so my dad, my uncles were... Um, were, were athletes, uh, my, my dad played semi-pro football, uh, tried out for the, the New York Titans, which were the, were the precursor to the New York Jets. Uh, he actually took a job as an electrician because it paid more money. Um, so, uh, and my grandfather was a, real high level athlete. He was armed forces champion in boxing. Um, he was, uh, he was a, a world-class, uh, sprinter, a four by one. And, um, so, you know, I have some good genetics, uh, good, uh, history of, of, of sports, my, uh, uh, in, in my family. So, and sports was a real important part of my, uh, my upbringing, you know, uh, it was encouraged by my father and, and it was really a way for me to express myself, uh, and get out a lot of my, you know, youthful angst, uh, in a, in a productive way. Uh, so, but I, I, you know, I, I, my, my family kind of laid the foundation, um, for that success, uh, by, you know, being involved in sports. Yeah, speaking of your grandfather, is it true that he ran on the same four by one squad with Jesse Owens at one point? Well, he um, he was on that team, but being a Jew uh, in the thirty six Olympics, um, you know, was a no no. So he and uh, uh, Marty Glickman were on that team. Uh, Marty Glickman was the longtime uh, Gi- uh, New York Giants announcer. 
uh, radio announcer, uh, but they were not allowed to participate because they were Jewish. So, yeah. Wow. That's pretty heavy. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's crazy times, crazy times now, but different crazy back then. Yeah. Real, real crazy back then. Yeah, for sure. Um, so to go back to something you told Jim a bit earlier, um, it, it looks like that you had set a goal of, of maybe taking one leap higher than your dad and playing pro football when you were a teenager. Um, and then, as, as you mentioned, you had to pivot later. But ha- has goal setting always been a big part of, of your approach, whether it's, you know, more gen- generic kind of goals or, or super specific ones that you really chase after? Yeah, I, I think uh, you know the goals are really our 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 our, our waypoints. You know, are really our destinations, that, and you have to have a destination in order to you know have some clarity as to you know where you're going. Um, and I've always set I've always set goals for myself. Um, you know, big, real big, stupid goals, and and then the working backwards, figuring out what are the littler, littler, <laughs> not a word folks, but, uh, what are the smaller, uh, goals that are right in front of you? And you just keep on pushing towards those immediate goals and, and, and every so often kind of take a check to see where you are and what, and, and where your direction is and making sure you're still staying, you know, you're moving in that, in that, in that direction of that big, crazy goal, but I think goal setting isn't just for athletes. It's really something that's helped me out in business. It's helped me out in, in really every aspect of my life. It really keeps me organized. Sean, I really love your approach to goal setting. And, uh, uh, I don't know, is little, littler a word, uh, Phil, uh, <laughs> I, I think I've used it before. So when you said, uh, it's not I'm a word, sure we all like- yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a, a great tip, I think, and I like to share this with my clients is that, um, you know, think of already having accomplished your goal and then re, uh, sort of reverse engineer, you know, how you got there. Um, and it also gives you confidence that I can do this. So um, I love that idea of kind of having that big picture in mind, you know, almost seeing and feeling yourself achieving it and then going back and say, okay, what do I need to do today to get one step closer to that? So I think, uh, you know, your approach has always been, what do I want? You know, how am I going to get there? And, you know, maybe sometimes, you know, also what do I need to give up, um, you know, to stay on track? So uh, did you have, when you were playing football and playing other sports growing up, did you have a, you know, was there one athlete that, man, I really want to emulate this person in my own game? Yeah, I loved, uh, uh, I loved Earl Campbell, mm. um, growing up as a kid. And, uh, I loved, um, well, everybody loved Lawrence Taylor, but you know, I loved, I loved Lawrence Taylor, but I, I loved, I loved Earl Campbell. I loved Rocky Blyer. Um, I just, I, I loved the way they approached the game, uh, as far as football goes. Uh, I loved Marvin Hagler growing up. I thought, you know, he was just an incredible, incredible will um, and just incredible, beautiful to watch him perform his craft was just really incredible. And, but 
those are some of the athletes that I grew up really um, looking at as uh, as role model. I mean, my biggest role model. I know it sounds cliche, but really, it was my dad. Mm. Um, you know, in not so much in sports, but just how he approached everything, and uh, and and I took a lot from him um, in both my mother and my father. Um, but, uh, but as a young boy, you know, you have a little bit of a different relationship with, you know, with your dad, but, uh, it was systematic approach toward, he was an electrician, a construction worker, and, um, you know, watching him, uh, get up every day, you know, five, 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 in the morning and, you know, work in some of these terrible circumstances and, and, you know, it's the ability to, you know, show up every day and, 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 and do the thing you, you have to do because that's what you have to do. And you don't complain and, and, uh, you know, you keep your head down, you grind and you, and you have a plan and you know, watching him like do a job, you know, how he would lay out, he would sketch out the job. He would lay out his tools. He would, you know, he would prepare, right? Like, so I got the concept of preparation, you know, from him and, and, uh, and planning, from him and uh you know it's funny like as i got further as a as an athlete and a coach i realized shit it's the same thing mm-hmm. we're all doing the same thing you know people who are successful uh regardless of what um venue they're in you know all are really doing the same things it just kind of maybe look a little bit different so i got that from my dad uh and that's why i think he's my main role model that's uh, really powerful. Um, you, you've also been lucky enough to, you, you've been a great mentor to a lot of younger coaches, but you had some who kind of poured into you as well. Can you tell us a little bit about what you learned um, both about training and competing and, and, and indeed life for, from Bob Takano? Yeah, Bob, you know, so Bob was my weightlifting coach and you know, out of all the coaches I've ever had, uh, including my dad, I, you know, I've spent the most time with, with Bob and, and he, we had a pretty unique environment, uh, in the nineties when I was there, uh, we had a room full of people, athletes, most of them wanted to be coaches of some sort or another. And, uh, so, you know, we had a really, every time we would speak, you know, it was really we would talk to each other in, in, you know, with, uh, with our coaching hats on, but with Bob, um, he was really generous with his time with me. So he would work, he, he did some strength conditioning with some of the teams before we trained. So we, we, uh, our training time was about three thirty, and at two thirty he would work with, uh, like, I think like Ben's volleyball, women's volleyball and, uh, maybe track or something I forget, but either way it was in the same place that we would train. So I would, so he would, uh, you know, I would show up at two thirty, and I would, uh, and I would sit with him and watch him do his thing. And then he, and, and he was always old and we both, you know, both have bio backgrounds and, and he's a real, he's a really good scientist. He's a really good science guy. So we would talk about training you know, it, uh, through the lens of science, which is really how it should be spoken about. And, and, uh, you know, for years, for, you know, five days a week, I would show up there and, and he would be coaching, doing his thing. And it did that, you know, probably for seven or eight years. And, um, 
And I really got a chance. I, I, you know, I learned about the importance of science as it relates to developing athletes and, and the importance of, of organize, of organizing your training. Um, the, the, the importance of, uh, what you put into the, you know, the, the what, what modes of training are you going to use to develop the athlete and, and the concept of what's the problem you want to solve, you know, and then, and then what are the most effective tools to solve those problems? And, uh, yeah, I really, it, it really set a great foundation for me, uh, in later, in, you know, set me up to be a, to be a good coach. He gave me all the, Gave me all the the, the the requisite tools to uh, to become a, a good coach, and and it was just by sitting there watching and asking questions, which I don't think enough people do these days. Um, but I had eight years of it, so I'm really really fortunate and grateful to Bob for you know allowing me to intrude <laughs> on his time like that. So I guess that's. Uh, that's my story with Bob. Yeah, what a, what a great mentor. And then also um, displaying on your part a growth mindset before that term was in vogue. <laughs> so I really uh, sure. I love, yeah, I love the idea of just, you know, uh, asking a lot of questions. Um, and that's how we learn and, and watching and observing. And that's how you also gain confidence in your craft. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't think there's enough of that. Now, I don't, you know, I think that Time has been altered uh, as far as, you know, the ability. I've, I've always felt that coaching, like other crafts, are, you know, take time. Like if you want to be a, a great blacksmith, right, you just don't go in and take a weekend course and then all of a sudden you're a blacksmith, right? It takes time to understand, you know, what angle do you swing the the anvil you know the, the 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 hammer at and you know what how to position the metal on the anvil and what's the right temperature to do this and you know what the it takes just it, it takes time to understand that and and i think it's no different than any other skill or craft and i think coaching is you know is, is as much art as as it is science and and the science you can learn you know you can learn it in a year, a few years at school, but the art of it, you know, that just requires some, some, some time. And I don't think we're giving our coaches enough time to develop. And I think the metrics behind what success is in the coaching field is, is screwed up. I think, you know, we look at followers and likes and income as the primary drivers of, uh, determining who a successful coach is, and it's those—not that those things aren't important, but you know they're not the thing that will determine whether or not somebody is a good coach. And and uh, you know you can set up shop right away, get a million followers, and all of a sudden you're the next smartest coach out there. And you know it's just not the case. And and uh, and uh, you know it's a different time now. You know, I mean, sometimes I, I catch myself. Like I sound like the old guy, oh, back in my day, you know, when we did it and that was the best way. And, and I'm not saying that that's the case. I don't want to sound like that guy, but you know, I think that the ability to, to spend time 
developing your craft is uh, is becoming a lost art. Yeah, it's that kind of um, the antithesis of what you talked about with the a true master apprentice style approach, um, and yeah. realizing that once you you kind of move on from that master and go out on your own, that the the, the real world apprenticeship never ends. No, I mean my I, I still, you know, although uh, people look to me as a master, which makes me cringe a little bit. You know, I, I I've always I always feel like an apprentice, um, which I think is an important. You know, I think it it requires you to to check your ego, which I don't know if everybody's able to do. And I think ego is one of the is one of the killers of of progress as a, as a human and, and especially as a coach. And, and, uh, you know, I, I try, I, I, I get, I humble myself all the time, uh, purposefully so I can be open to learning. I mean, in Zen, they call it like child's mind, right? Try to, you try to look at a situation with a child's mind, you know, that you've never seen it before. And you try to look at it in a way that, because I think if you can look at it in that way, you start to see things, that you didn't see before. And you know, this is why, you know, I have a process of, I have a library of books uh, that I keep on my, I have a big bookshelf in my, in my living room and I have a ton of other books and boxes, but the books that I keep on my shelf, I have a, a cycle of, uh, I take a third of them every year and I, and I reread them, you know, not cover to cover necessarily, but you know, I look through them again because I've had a year of, and I, and I cycle through it. So every three years I'm, um, I'm going through all my, all my books and, and, and I do it because you have a year's worth of, of new experience. You know, I, so I think that sometimes the same thing that you read two year or three years ago might take on a different meaning because of your different experiences so I think, it, you know, in order to do that, you have to kind of think that you don't know everything, right? And, and, you know, and to be able to look at things with a fresh eye or that child's mind, I think is a really important tool for growth. Yeah, it's such a good point. Um, it's kind of like that, that quote um, that says that um, nobody ever steps in the same river twice because they're different the next time they step in it and the river's somewhat different, whether it's you right. change course or this bunch of silt dragged up off the bottom that wasn't before, or it's running higher, it's running lower, whatever it is. So it sounds like you're, you're kind of putting that into practice. Yeah, 100%. I, you know, I, I, uh, I think that you have to have, you have to have principles which don't change, right? So uh, you're either training principles or your principles as a man, um, you know, those are set in stone, right? Uh, but I think that within, within those principles, uh, outside of those principles, you know, you have your, 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 your methodologies, right. You know, on how you, how you express your principles. And I think that as long as your principles stay true, you know, sometimes how you, what your belief, uh, 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 uh how you, um, how you uh, uh, perform those beliefs, how you uh, how you get there can change some. So I think that uh, you know 
looking at things. So for me, like I'm not all of a sudden say, well, screw Olympic lifting. I'm just going to, you know, I think um, Pilates is the best way to train athletes. Like I, I'm, that, that's, that, that's not going to happen for me, but I have a way that I view that I think that, that some things should be done ultimately, but the path to get there is where I have some undulation in, in how I get there. So the undulations are through, uh, are, are created through conversations with other people or these new or, or experiences that kind of get me to think about things a little bit differently. Um, that's where those undulations are, but you know, the undulation is still leading me towards my principles. Yeah, that's really well said. Um, before we started recording, we talked about how you kind of, uh, you've intersected with, with some of the great sports psychologists. And, and I know that, you know, yeah. from our work together in the past for training heroic and other places that mindset is a big part of, of coaching and for the Olympic lifters now that are on the, uh, the platform in, in meets and competition. So can you talk a little bit about, um, Ken Revisa and, uh, the great Ken Revisa and, and your interactions with him at Long Beach state? Yeah, so I met Ken because I was uh, working with baseball at Long Beach State when I was in grad school. So my other mentor, John Garhammer, Dr. John Garhammer, was the kind of the head of the strength program there, and, and he was my training partner and mentor. Um, and I would – I don't know if it, was, it wasn't even an official, like, uh, position, grad position. I just loved to coach. So he said, hey, you want to help out with baseball? I said, sure. So, uh, with my time working with, uh, helping out with baseball, I met, uh, Dr. Revisa cause he was, he had worked with the, with the Long Beach State Baseball Dirtbags, uh, with their sports psych and we hit it off real well. And, and he was, you know, he was a real generous guy too. And, and we agreed he, 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 I don't know if I approached him or he approached me, whatever, I don't remember, but either way we started working together and, and, uh, he would, uh, he would work with me at sports psych and I would actually, I would help him move heavy shit in his house, like in his garden rocks and whatnot. So it was a good barter for us. And, and he, uh, you know, one of the things he first day I worked with him, I'll never forget this. And I have his book heads up. Baseball is a great, is a great book, uh, for, uh, for sports psych. I really enjoyed it. And, um, he brought out this little toilet, <laughs> Uh, it's like a mini toilet, not like a, like a one that you actually use, but a mini toilet. And he talked about, um, flushing stuff down the toilet. Like, so if something bad happens, uh, you immediately flush it down the toilet. And, and the, the thing I got from that was you know, don't carry things with you. I have a short memory. And, uh, because I had some issues with my transition from team sports to, to weightlifting, um, as far as anxiety goes, like being out there by myself. And so it was weird because I never had that before in any, in anything else that I did. Uh, and that concept of, of, you know, having a short memory is one of the, 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 the great things that I, that I took from my relationship with, uh, with Dr. Revisa. He's a really good man, really, really good man. I, and I miss him. Yeah, what what a pioneer in the field, and he was you know such a trailblazer in terms of opening doors in college and pro sports for the rest of us that followed. And 
uh, everyone's borrowed and stolen and lifted <laughs> from him. And uh, sure. because he is so good. Um, and yeah, I love the, the toilet prop, you know, flush your mistakes right away instead of holding on, yeah. to them, you know, um, and, you know, controlling the controllables, uh, you know, be where you need to be when you need to be there. You know, he's just so quotable. And what I love about him and I could see you guys as two peas in a pod because, you know, you could go really highbrow with stuff in terms of, you know, latest research and, you know, philosophy. Yeah. We were talking about Heraclitus and, you know, but then you guys could be really lowbrow and, you know, just have fun and, and um, you know, enjoy the journey and, um, you know, be able to rib each other and, and, and the people that you work with. So, um, yeah, he's, he's done wonderful things. And it's really great that you guys connected. Um, you mentioned that you also... Uh, met Michael Gervais early on. And I, I think he is just probably the most articulate sports psychologist that's ever been. Uh, I love listening to him. I love his interviews. Tell us about meeting uh, uh, Michael Gervais. So Mike and I were in grad school together. You know, we, we shared classrooms together and we were, uh, we were friends. And um, when he started his practice at the pinnacle performance. I think it was his first, uh, his first business. He took me on as a, as a client. And, uh, so we, you know, I would meet with him weekly and we worked through, you know, my issues and he was great. And he was, you know, he was working out his, uh, you know, the old saying, you got to break some eggs to make an omelet, you know? So I was one of his eggs and, uh, you know, he, uh, I was, I'm really blessed to, you know, be to have been with him in, in the beginning and, and I've loved watching him grow, but, you know, he was, uh, you know, we, with, from, for Mike, you know, one of the things, uh, that I, I got was, uh, we talked about self-talk and, and, and routine. So, uh, one of the big things about like pre event routine and pre, uh, lift routine and, and, having a routine to take out some of the anxiety and the uncertainty is you can bring that routine every, anywhere, no matter where, you know, where you're doing your thing. Uh, and so I, you know, that was one of the things that stood out that I've always, that I've stolen from him, uh, and used with, you know, with my athletes. But, uh, yeah, I was really lucky to have, uh, and, 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 and Mike is right. Like I said, you know, we've, oh, we've stayed good friends. He's writing the forward for my, uh, for my, uh, for my book. And, and, uh, I've really enjoyed watching him grow and, and, uh, and be as successful as he was. And what he, you know, what he did with Seattle was great, uh, with the Seahawks for all those years. And, and, um, he's really, uh, really incredible, uh, to see what he's done in the field. So honored to be his friend. Can, can you give listeners uh, <clears throat> a little uh, um, insight into your book and, you know, when that's going to come out and uh, title, uh, uh, you know, just to plant some seeds? Yeah. So the work, the working title right now is the power of pain. And uh, it's, uh, it's not a training book necessarily. It's a, it's a book on, well, so I'm a, you know, I'm a middle, I'm a 53 year old guy. Uh, I'm not an athlete anymore. Um, and I, I define athlete by actually somebody young, um, who is, uh, you know, trying to play a sport or, you know, achieve something incredible, 
in some capacity. For me, you know, I'm trying not to die, and I'm and I'm trying to live a vital life for the next fifty years. And I think that a big, you know, a big part of that needs to be discomfort and pain. Um, pain, not necessarily being a debilitating thing, but pain being uh, just a severe form of discomfort. And I think that that's absent in a lot of our lives, especially as we get older. And and society is really uh, has really become a place of cushy comfort, you know, by design. And I think it's really you have to make very uh, a concerted effort in order to avoid comfort uh, when it's when it's appropriate, and to insert discomfort and pain and back into your life in order for you to be a vital human. And for me, the barbell is the best uh, best way to do that because it's measurable. It's you know it's it's safe. Um, it's but it's also dangerous. Uh, in a in a safe way, uh, and it's uh, and, and I talk and the book is really about stories uh, throughout my life and 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 how to really become a better human, more productive human, and a more vital human as we age. Um, so, uh, but and I, I offer some some training advice as well, and and some standards of strength that I think that every human should have regardless of their age. Um, so that's, uh, that's what I got coming out. Yeah. T- talk to us a little bit about the, uh, the discomfort of writing the first book. Now, obviously you had a, you've had a great partner and a <sighs> mutual friend, Pete Hitzman, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a fun process in a lot of ways, but also um, can be a daunting one, can be a frustrating one. So tell us a little bit about the kind of stepping out there and, and saying, all right, we're finally going to do this thing. And then you begin always with a, with a blank page and end up with a full book. Yeah, so yeah, so I reached to the story. I, mean, I reached out to, to, to you, to Phil, uh, to, to I want I I knew of uh, I knew of your work, and uh, you you hooked me up with Pete, which was which was great. And I don't you know to be honest with you, Phil, I don't <laughs> I don't remember what the original book was supposed to be about, uh, but it morphed into this. Um, and I think um, which I'm really excited about. I and uh, you know it was a difficult process and it's been a long process longer than, than I, I anticipated, but anybody I had spoken with that is, is embarked on writing a book says it always takes longer than you think. Um, so I'm, I guess I'm not different, but, uh, you know, I, I, I we started it and kind of stopped for a little while just because I, I had, you know, I had a gym for 12 years in California and, it was a monster of a gym, uh, as far as uh, an undertaking, you know, it was a small, it was me and one other guy that kind of ran the behind the scenes. And it was, uh, it got to the point where, uh, it was, I had so much bandwidth being taken up by, you know, I had a, a high level athletes training for all championships. And so between that and running the gym, the book just kind of took a back seat. And then you know, honestly, the pandemic hit and, book was back on because I mean, I had shit to do because California, everything was closed. 
So uh, we started full steam ahead and uh, got to the point now we finished uh, the last chapter, you know, it's the first draft and uh, waiting to get one little other piece uh, sealed up and then I'm going to send it out to some people that I, that, that I, that I trust to, to read through it, give me some feedback and, and, uh, then get it edited. So we're at that point. Um, but it's been, man, it's been like a slow boy, a slow grind. I don't know what it's like to do like, an like an ultra like hundred mile marathon, but I got to, I have a feeling this is the analog to that without putting on running shoes. Yeah, it's definitely pain in writing. Uh, so it's a great title for your book, <laughs> you know, in and of itself. Yeah. But, um, but I also, uh, you know, I always rely on the the adage that uh, better late than lousy. So uh, good work <laughs> hanging in there. <laughs> yeah, you know, you don't know it's lousy until you put it out there. I mean, I, I and I'm a very, ter- I'm a terrible judge of my own work. Um, I just... I just don't know. Like, so for instance, recently over the last four or so months, I've been writing more publicly, like putting stuff out on social media. And, uh, and I haven't, I've been so critical over my own work that I've, you know, for the, for the longest time, it's kind of hamstrung me and prevented me from, you know, from putting myself out there without, you know, anything that I put out in the past has been, scrutinized and edited and rewritten and I mean, just an article like, you know, uh, uh, Phil, all the articles that I've done for you, you have no idea what went into them. So I knew that they were going to be read publicly. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've, I've tried, well, I've not tried. I've, I've gotten away from that. Uh, at least, um, so I changed my process for writing. And, you know, I put something on the paper and make sure it doesn't sound like I'm a, like I'm a dumb-dumb. Uh, I make sure the spelling's is right as far as I, and the grammar's okay. And I put it out. I don't scrutinize over it painstakingly. Um, so having a partner in, in my book was really good for me. Because the, the process was we'd sit down and talk. And Pete would take notes. And then he would put something down on the paper and get it back to me. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, so it's been a, it's, it's been a, a growth experience for me as well, but, um, the, the ability just to put something kind on paper, put it out there is not a easy thing for me. And, and that's one thing that I've been working on and, uh, but I'm so grateful to have Pete in my corner and it, he's been a godsend. Yeah, he's awesome. It, it's definitely fun. Um, I mean, Jim and I now with with uh the leader's mind in the tank and uh another the next one almost finished it's uh once you start to get get to know each other really well and start to get to know each other's uh style and then divide and conquer a little bit and yeah it's good it's good to have someone someone with you on that that uh that long through hike <laughs> rather than you just be yeah, well, you know, in gotta, the wilderness I, by I yourself I got to get really successful at, the, at this office stuff so he can quit his job and just be full-time uh, uh, writer with me. Exactly. Uh, I think uh, we can get things done quicker. I think so, yeah. I think it'd be, that would be definitely the way ahead. Yeah, we just met, met up. Actually, he was in uh, in Colorado for work uh, last week. So, yeah, we were able to go through and, and, and look at it from, from his perspective. And I think the conversations, you know, he really – 
dug into that and um, really found value in, in doing it that way. So sounds like you both learned a lot. And um, yeah, I, I think uh, it, what you bring up is an interesting point about how your process can change over the years too, right? How, how have you... Yeah. How have you applied that in coaching? Whereas you said earlier, your principles stayed the same, but maybe there's a few things on either on the organizational side, or as you mentioned with Gervais telling you about routines that you've you've kind of modified your approach and maybe even looked back and thought, wow, that was a really inefficient way. I used to do this or that that <laughs> aspect back in the day. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I, uh, you know, so, you know, without getting too deep into the, uh, too deep into the weeds, you know, I've, uh, over time I've, I have, so the things that I've kept, you know, I come from biomechanics and, and, uh, I, and I took more, a lot of modal learning. I took it undergrad. I took it in grad school. And, you know, one of the, one of the concepts that really has stuck with me is this concept of chunking of information. I think it started psychology. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the concept of taking, uh, looking at a complex task and, and breaking it down into small, into its constituent parts and organizing those parts in a way and, uh, that makes sense, uh, in, in, in learning and then teaching these parts in a sequential order. And then once the concept is, once these parts are, are learned, then you can, then you put them together to develop this, this, this more complex movement, uh, complex skill. So that's never changed for me. You know, I, I, I learned about that in, in undergrad. So I've always kept that concept. Now, what has changed with me is what, uh, what makes up those chunks. So I think, you know, where my, uh, my process has, you know, my, my, my big picture process has not changed. You know, I still take this, this chunking approach towards learning movement, but where my, uh, where my change has come is when I look at the, the problem that I want to solve, you know, what I, what I deem as the important chunks and the order in which those chunks uh, are digested uh, have changed over time. So I think that that's, you know, from a big picture, that's where uh, my change has come. Yeah, I, I really like the idea that you guys were talking about in terms of, you know, uh, having a, a, a routine that works for you. Uh, I think most of us fall into empty routines where we don't know why we're doing what we're doing. Uh, so being really conscious about what's helpful for us and what's not Um I like the idea of uh, chunking and, and compartmentalizing and breaking things down, slowing it down and breaking it down so it's more manageable. But one thing I think you really hit on too is, you know, there's the, the pain of writing, but there's the pain of putting that writing out there in the world. And that takes a lot of courage. Um, and so I think it was a great act of courage on your part. You talked about, you know, kind of on the one hand, we're nerfing the world in terms of making everything, you know, we're, we're getting too soft uh, as people. Right. And but, but um, so, you know, we need challenges in order to grow, but, um, but we all need to take healthy risks too, in terms of, you know, hey, you know, writing a book is great, but putting it out there is the point um, so that people can appreciate your gift and, and you could share your talent and, and share your hard work with the world. And so it sounds like that was an act of courage on your part. And as you mentioned, 
it was a step-by-step process uh, that began with writing some of those uh, articles that you talked about. Yeah, you know, it's for me, um, I'm a very private person. And the big challenge for me was because I share, you know, some, you know, my, I share myself uh, in this book and I've been sharing myself with articles uh, over the last few months, which is something I've never done before. Um, I don't, I don't, people, you know, people know Waxman's gym, they know Sean Waxman, the coach, but they don't know anything about me as a person. And that's been, purposeful. Um, I don't feel comfortable sharing, you know, my, what I'm thinking, uh, you know, uh, outside of the snatch and clean jerk or, or sports performance. But I thought that, um, you know, I, I look back at my life and I thought that, you know, I've, I've really made some profound mistakes and I've learned some profound lessons from those mistakes. And, and I thought that it's, um, and I've, I've lived a fairly, you know, a pretty interesting life. Um, uh, uh, definitely a life well lived. And I thought that these experiences, you know, now that I'm on the other side of, of, you know, I'm, you know, in, in, in our parents generation, 53, you were, you know, you already were like on, you, you you had 10 years to live, right? So it's, it's, you know, you're towards the end of your life. So, you know, for me, I thought, well, you know, I'm in a place now where I think I have these lessons that I've learned. And if I can help other people, at least not make the same mistakes. Um, and that I, I think it's, it's my duty as a coach, you know, the coach in me, to say, hey, you know, here's here's my experience. Here's how I did it, um, and here's why. Here's what was right and wrong about it, um, and here's how I think the best way to do it now is based on my experiences. So I thought that that was a big part of why I wanted to share. I thought it would be selfish maybe not to. Yeah, it's such a good point. Um... One of the things, Sean, that I've uh, I've heard about you from from other coaches, especially our good friend Kenny Kane, is um, <laughs> while you can <laughs> while you can have a great degree of complexity in your thinking and you know your systems and be very detailed in your programming, but there's also a, a big focus on simplicity. So he'll say when when he'll send an athlete to, you know, to, to tune up their, their Olympic lifts um, or maybe to even just get them going and and he would ask them, you know, what what are some of the first things you started taking away? They they would repeat some of your your one word cues, so you know, elbows or feet and that kind of thing. Right. Um, when it comes to to cueing, and you mentioned it even earlier on, maybe not overthinking when you're on the platform. Why why is simplicity so important, even if there's complexity in, in the method behind it? Yeah, so I think you bring up a good point, and I think this is where uh, your time as a coach helps. I think, you know, when we first start, uh, you know, we can, we're consumers of information, right? We look so I remember with, when I first started, I, anything that was written in English that was about training, I read. Um, so that's the initial consumption of information. And then, um, 
when you coach, you have no filter of that information. You can't organize that information. So you coach with all that information. You give all that information to your athlete. It's, and it's, you know, it's, 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 it's overwhelming to them and it's overload. Then over time, you develop, um, you, 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 under, you start to understand what are the most salient, what are the, most, what are the, what are the problems, not the symptoms, and and what's what's the what's the best way to solve this problem? Because most coaches early on they they they're they're symptom solvers, right? They look at they see something happening and they and they're two or three steps. Uh, they they solve the the thing that's two or three steps away from the problem. Um. So as we get a better understanding of what we're doing. You know, it starts to come back down to some very simple concepts. And this is where cues develop, right? So you don't, a cue shouldn't be a soliloquy on what you're trying to do, right? It should be, you know, what are the, what's the most salient, most valid thing that you can tell your athlete that's going to change their behavior in a way to get the, a positive result? So I think that, you know that really is the is the developmental arc of good cues. You know it, it comes from experience in the thing that you're trying to do because you have to have an understanding, a visceral understanding of what this thing feels like, uh, and you have to have an under, uh, another visceral understanding of of the of what the problem is and what are the possible solutions. Um, and I think that only comes with time and paying attention and experience. Does that answer your question? I don't know if I got off track. No, I think it absolutely does. Yeah, if I could add a little piece that I really like about that is that, um, you know, in terms of the type of thinking that we have going into a competition especially, you know, there's three main types. One is more of a negative outcome thinking approach, which is, you know, what if I don't perform well? And that just sure. spikes our energy and, you know, not helpful at all. Then there's more of a positive outcome thinking approach, which is, you know, I, I got I to gotta lift this weight or I got to get a hit or, you know, whatever, which, you know, drives our energy up in a bad way as well. Uh, and so what I like what you're talking about is, is focusing more on your process um, mm -hmm. and, um, kind of getting back to the fundamentals, uh, the brilliant basics, and, you know, in terms of what you need to do to do well. And the main point, I guess, is that, you know, this may sound simple in some, in terms of some of those keywords that you provide, but under pressure, simple is always good. Right, because the thing that they're doing is so complex, you can't add more complexity. That's it. You know, you you and and to be and to, to be quite frank as a coach if you're the the performance of the athlete whatever they're doing it at the time of the performance is not a time to coach it's not the time it's not a time to learn the thing that they're supposed to be doing that should have taken place already in the training so you know really a cue in competition is really just a reminder of what they already know. It's not, it's not a, an introduction to something new. 
And I think that, you know, you see coaches, they'll start to, I see this in weightlifting a lot because that's what I'm around um, mostly. But, I mean, they'll start coaching right before the athlete is about to go and do this complicated thing. And I'm thinking to myself, man, you're just setting them up for failure. Um, but the problem is that many coaches don't prepare their athletes properly, um, both physically and, and psychologically for the competition. So they, you know, they, they feel like they're, they, they need to coach during the, 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 the competition and they actually don't. Um, yeah. Our coaching job ended on the last training session leading up to the competition. We're just their guide. We're, we're basically a guide now. We're guiding them through the, uh, you know, through the, the, the minefield of this performance. You know, we're, not, we're not teaching them how to perform. Yeah, it's definitely good intentions, but, uh, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, providing a lot of feedback <laughs> and, and, uh, and teaching right before someone performs. Um, and, and, and so a lot of times these athletes go out there as these bloated bobbleheads of information uh, right. instead of being, you know, free, loose, and athletic. And, um, you know, uh, I think, too, if you're giving a lot of instruction right before an athlete performs, you're, you're basically telling them, you know, uh, indirectly that I don't believe in you, <laughs> you know, because otherwise, you know, why do I have to tell you all this stuff right before you go out there and do your thing? Um, so, yeah, I love the idea of, you know, you have everything you need inside of you. Um, here are, you know, a couple, two or three little, you know, reminders, like you said, or little keywords to have in your back pocket if needed. Uh, otherwise, go out there and free it up, loosen it up, you know, and, and go out there and compete. Do what you do. You know, this is why, for me, with my athletes, it's so important not to miss in training. You know, it, it, you, it, it's not that we're not lifting heavy weights, but, you know, the coach needs to set up the app, especially in weightlifting. It needs to set, uh, weightlifting is unique. Uh, the, the only, anal the closest analog to weightlifting in sports is, is pole vaulting. Because it's the only other sport where, you're, where, you, where you announce your performance. Right, so in pole vault, you say, raise the bar to this height. I'm going to jump this height. In weightlifting, we say, put this amount of weight on the bar. We're gonna, I'm going to lift that weight. There's no other sport that does that. So, the, so it's, an, it's an interesting mindset. And, but the, 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 the movement of it, the, you know, the weightlifting is a very linear sport. It's not like pole vaulting in other sports where there's a million freaking variables. It's not a lot of variables in weightlifting. Right? And it, which is why one of the reasons what drew me drew, drew me to it because you can study it meticulously. So if that's the case, you don't have to worry about external variables. Um, you have to worry about gravity and your technique. Um, and if you can't perfect that in training, uh, then and, and the perfection comes from success. If you're doing it right in training, you're going to make lifts. If you're doing it wrong, you're going to miss lifts. Now, there's cases where it's too heavy, which is not wrong. It's just too heavy. But those moments are, are, are far and few between. Um, but if you're practicing the habit of success in training, then when the athlete is out on the stage in the heat of the moment in that white 
light, the light moment, whatever, however, I forget what they call it in, in psychology, but, uh, you know, they're not going to, they're going to draw on what their habit is. And if their habit is success, which is what you want to develop in training, then when it comes down to being in the moment, that's what they're going to, that, that's what they're going to draw from. But if they, if they, if they miss half the time in training, then what do you expect the performance is going to be when the anxiety is high? I mean, it's, it, to me, it's, it's always been a simple, a simple correlation success in training leading to success in competition. But I guess it's not simple because it doesn't seem like many others are on board with that. Well, what is Phil, Phil, what do you always say that, uh, that common sense isn't so common and, um, and it really is simple, but we, we want to make it, uh, we want to make it complicated, um, you know, because we think it's too simple, but you're really hitting on an important point of, you know, you, you have to, practice the way you want to perform. And then when you get to your performance, you can think practice. And um, most athletes are under the impression that practice doesn't really count, you know, or training doesn't really count as much as competition. So I'll really turn it on when it's time to compete. And it's too late at that point. Um, We also joke around, Phil and I also joke around that no athlete has ever said, you know, after competition, I've kept it too simple out there. <laughs> you know, usually we make right. it way too complicated. Uh, so simple wins. And I, you know, one of my favorite sayings from Willie Mays was, uh, you know, is, uh, you know, they hit the ball, I catch the ball. Um, you know, uh, they throw right. the ball, I hit the ball. Uh, simple wins. I agree. I mean, it, it, uh, it, it doesn't get any more simple than that, but it's not so simple. Well, and that's where Revisa bringing be, uh, him back into our combo. Uh, I love how he talks about simplicity. He would talk about simplicity that, you know, the, it can be complicated at times, you know, but, you know, but you try to make it as simple as you can. No, absolutely. I, uh, and to me, you know, uh, one of the big jobs of a coach is to facilitate that simplicity during competition for their athlete. And they facilitate it by preparing the athlete properly, and and preparing the athlete properly, you know, means making sure that they, you know, they're, uh, they can perform the thing that the, that they're supposed to perform, and uh, uh, and they they act as a good guide during you know the, the actual competition, and they don't put. The, the, the stress of the competition onto their athlete. There's enough stress there. So they're prepared themselves. Like they understand, you know, how the competition flows and, you know, understanding when a, a problem arises, you know, having a solution for it, you know, n- not putting any of that on the athlete, you know? So I think it, 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 successful performance is, is, is partially, you know, from the, the athlete has to obviously is going to take ownership of the performance, but in order for them to take ownership of the performance, they have to be prepared properly. And, and a lot of that is, you know, all that other stuff is on the coach. And I think, uh, you know, making sure that, that they understand the, the importance of, of preparation, um, is, is vital to, to the athletes continued success. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, when back thinking back to when you were competing, what what were you trying to think or not think when you were on the platform during competition? I had a hard time in weightlifting, even throughout my even when I later in my career when I started to you know figure it out. Um, I had a real I had a really big fear of failure. So like my mindset was don't fail, don't fail, which is a terrible, terrible way to be. Um, you know, it, it, it was actually, it drove me well in training, but, uh, I mean, it, that, that, that mindset actually helped me in training. I think really push myself past what I, well, what I probably were, should have been. Um, it really drove me this fear. I was very, I had a lot of fear um, of, you know, I, I'd given up a lot to, you know, to do weightlifting and, and, you know, I, I just, I was just drove and especially early, my early life, I had a lot of fear and that's what drove a lot of my decisions. And I think partially what made me a really good athlete in other sports. Um, but in weightlifting, it was at 100% the wrong emotion to, hang my hat on um and uh so it took me a while to you know to figure out figure that out and um uh yeah i i i just uh yeah i operated from from the wrong mindset and I, and and mike Gervais really helped me with that and towards the end of my career you know i started to really get it and I started to really be a good performer, and then I got hurt, and that was it. <laughs> that I that I had to retire. So you know, it just as you know, my mental approach was peaking. Um, I I got hurt, and uh, and couldn't really express it in a way in 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 a way that I I think would really give me a lot more success um, because physically I had all the gifts. You know, I was a really good athlete. I just my the thing that stopped me from being a great weightlifter. I was a good. I was good. I wasn't by far. I was not great at all, but I was good. But what stopped me from being? I I, I was I, I had a great athletic, uh, uh, great athleticism, but what stopped me from expressing it was my was my mental approach to it, and um, I learned from that, and I'm really cognizant of that when I work with my current athletes because that was one of the big mistakes that I had. So we work on that from day one. And part of Bob DeCano's approach, he had a bit of a meat grinder approach. You know, just you push yourself, miss or not, you know, you just you keep going. Um, and that wasn't the best fit for me. It worked for some it worked for others. And and he he was a guy that, you know, here's what works and uh, if you can survive this, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be on that metal stand at an international meet. If it doesn't, you're not, you know, and I was the not, uh, you know, I was good nationally, um, but never, never really crossed over to the, you know, to the, to being good international, uh, being a, uh, you know, a, a, a viable international lifter. And, um, it, uh, so I learned that that approach isn't the approach that I wanted to take with my athletes. I thought that, uh, 
you know, it's not one size fits all. And, what, uh, what, you know, developing. What's up? What, what advice would you, uh, if you could go back in time, give yourself in terms of, you know, how to go from that workhorse and training to more of a racehorse and competition? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think it's, I had some multiple layers for me. You know, I, I needed, I just wrote about this recently. I just, I needed a little bit more balance in my life so that I could think of something else other than competing and training, you know, in the 24 hours that I, that, that in a day. Because if I wasn't sleeping, you know, I was obsessing over uh, the next meet and how I was going to do and what I was going to do and preparing for it. And I never gave myself a break. Um, And I think, you know, turning my brain off a little bit, focusing on something else would have really would have, would have helped um, me. And I think that uh, not treating every day as my last day on earth, you know, when I walked into the, when I walked into training, I thought, you know, what if I can't, what if I get hit by a car and I can't train the next day? You know, what am I? Uh, so I just, I just put, I had my foot on the gas pedal for, you know, for nine years. And, um, and I left a lot of my best performances in training. By the time competition came around, I was so beat up. Mm. Like I just, I, I had nothing left. I had laid it out all on the line in training every day. You know, it, it built, it developed some other character traits that I think are valuable, but not the one that I actually wanted, you know, for competition. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, understanding that, you know, when to pull, when to pull back, you know, and, and, you know, setting some boundaries for, you know, when to pull back, uh, setting some boundaries outside of training as to, you know, how I can, uh, live a little bit more, a little bit more balance. I'm not saying like 50, 50, I'm saying just something else to, 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 to give my, to give my mind a break. Um, so I think those are the things that I would have changed. Yeah, it's really interesting. Jim is just looking at that through sports psych lens. What what are you hearing there? Because something I've kind of took was uh, that that didn't experience didn't exist in isolation or cross over into you know the years of regrets and coulda woulda shoulda, but rather you you took it as a learning opportunity and how to how oh, it yeah. could inform your your own approach and what you might do differently in your coaching to what you experienced when when you were on the other side of that, but Jim, um, what bubbles to the surface there as Sean's talking? Well, I, I think a lot about periodization and, you know, in terms of, you know, you got to do the heavy lifting, no pun intended, <laughs> you know, you have to put in the work, you right. have to do the preparation, but then as you get closer to a competition and it's really hard for, uh, you know, obsessive compulsive workaholics that, you know, we kind of need to be, to be great at anything to, uh, do less and and uh, take their mind off of their craft. And so, you know, that week or two getting a ton of sleep, 10 hours a night, um, uh, maybe doing a little more mental training, a little more visualization, but really cutting back on the heavy lifting, the hard training, so that you're fresh and free when it's time to perform. 
um, so that you could really execute at your best level. And then afterward, being able to recover and regenerate and, and, and then reignite for the next training period, I think is really important. But yeah, I, I, I would say most athletes uh, go into competition, sleep deprived, go into competition uh, a little bit too beat up. Um, and, you know, that's, uh, we don't have the energy to fully concentrate as well as we can on what we're doing. Um, and so, um, you know, I'm hearing a little bit of that as well. Um, but, um, yeah, like, I like what you said though, Sean, though, that, 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 you know, uh, last day on earth kind of attitude, uh, there's a lot of good things that come with that as well. You know, um, I think oh, more people need to move in that direction, but then dial it back a little bit as they get closer to training and you're going to probably feel, or closer to competition and you're going to probably feel a little guilty, <laughs> you know, like I should be doing more. Uh, but I love the saying, uh, don't, don't be lazy with your rest and recovery. So, um, you know, so, uh, really, you know, you have to relax it before you max it, um, is, is a good mantra, I think. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I had a, I had a multi-level problems with, so my whole thing was, you know, I, I was, I wanted to be the toughest guy. Right. So I wanted to be able to do the most work. I wanted to be able to, you know, just do everything. Like my, 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 my concept of toughness was all was, was skewed, you know? So I would, you know, I would train like that. And then at night I would, you know, I would work as a doorman, you know, up until three, four in the morning, getting into fights and, you know, all this stuff. And, really try to do everything I could do to have this external proof that I'm tough. And then, you know, one of the things that I, I realized as, you know, I, I had some distance from that life was, you know, what real toughness is, is the ability to say no to things, the ability to organize your life in a way that's congruent with your goals, you know, and, and to avoid things like, you know, this arbitrary thing of, I want to be the toughest guy. Uh, and you know, my definition really didn't help my goals. And to me, that's weakness. You know, we, that it, it's an expression of weakness, not toughness. So I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the big things that I learned from my experience, uh, was what real toughness is. And, um, you know, I'm grateful for that because it's really made me a better coach. Didn't help my athletics at all, but, uh, you know, it, it, endurance is interesting. Like, you know, people think of endurance as, oh, I'm going to run this distance, but endurance is really, you know, how much can you endure? And, you know, the best athletes, in, I think, don't try to max that out. Like they try to find what the minimum dose is you know, that they need to be successful, not the maximal dose. And I think that the concept of finding the minimal dose of endurance that you need to be successful is a really important and difficult concept to grasp for some. But it's something that I really try to express with my athletes. Yeah, I think that, you know, we've talked about in the past, Sean, that the... Uh a big part of your approach and maybe this comes from you know your background of 
of things getting pushed too far the other way, both with your mindset at the time and, and what the coach, you know, that kind of meat grinder approach that you mentioned was that um, you've really put put an emphasis on the durability of your athletes and recognizing, hey, if they're going to be successful, you know, we're looking at training sometimes six days a week. And to do that yeah. every day can't be you know, the, these lengthy sessions or everyone's got in the habit of two a days or three a days in certain disciplines. And, you know, um, that volume does have a place, but that needs to be more accumulated over time maybe. And we actually need to think about the health and resilience and overall durability of the athlete. Cause if they're super banged up, as you mentioned earlier, well, you're not going to be able to train effectively, let alone be able to show up on the day of competition and give your best. Can you talk a little bit about, no. about that? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I, where I frame, you know, training as a whole is the most important training day is the next day. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the things that I spend a lot of time on with my athletes is, you know, finding what their capacity is, you know, because once you determine what an athlete's capacity is, uh, you know, and that capacity doesn't it, it increase in perpetuity over the length of their career. You know, so I think that once you once you find out where their what their capacity is, and then you have to think about you know how do I fill how do I how do I fill that capacity with stress? You know, so then figuring out working backwards is you know what are the most profound stressors that I need that my athlete needs to have, how much of it, um, how frequent, you know, all the, you know, the variables that go around with, 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 with designing training, but understanding that, you know, if you, if you increase something, something else has to be diminished because once you surpass the capacity of the athlete is when problems start. So it's, so it's, you know, it's really, uh, you know, understanding that, um, a, that there's a, that athletes have a finite capacity, B understanding, you know, what are the stressors that are going to be most, uh, 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 most effective in, in, in changing the athlete's homeostasis in a way that's going to improve their performance and understanding, you know, uh, you know, how to, um, dose these things and how to coordinate them. Uh, in a way that's going to allow the athlete to, to, to continually train over the uh, over the span of their career without any major um, without any major stoppages due to due to injury caused by training. You know, so I think that that's really the major goal of a coach in this way. Yeah, it's really good stuff. Um, speaking of the the major goals of a coach, what would you say your your mission is as a coach? Well, you know, I think it, it depends on how high of a view you're looking. So, from a big picture, uh, you know, it's it's to you know do the thing that I'm. Um, people are asking me to do right so somebody comes to me the hey i want to be you know i want to be a, a, 
weight uh, a weightlifter, then you know make them a weightlifter. If they want to be better in their in football, then you know improve the fitness qualities that they need to make them better at football. So you know do the thing that you that that you that they're you're tasked to to do. Um, I mean I don't know how much more simple it could be. Uh, you know obviously there's complexity in that. But but the goal is 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 pretty simple, you know. It's if somebody's coming to you for anything. Like if I go for years, I couldn't find somebody to make me T-shirts that were consistent, right? So I couldn't find somebody that was good at and, and consi- at consistently making a good product. You know, I think so. I think that's the goal for anything that we pay for. You know, I want something that I can rely on that's consistently good. And uh, that's it. Yeah, really well said. Well, this has been a real pleasure, Sean, as always, and been too long since we last did this. So thanks so much for your time and and your insights again, and we'd love to do a a part two in the future. But in the meantime, can you tell people where they can follow along with the writing that you've started to put out more, um, roughly maybe when they can expect the book and and then just where they can follow you when you you overcome our shared reticence of just blasting out <laughs> online yeah so i'm most active right now on instagram uh on uh the underscore sean underscore waxman uh so that's where i'm i'm doing most of my stuff right now uh i'm in the i'm in the process of cha- of getting a new website so I still have waxmansgym.com and, and it's not a, it's really just a website to drive people to my programming. Uh, but it's, it's not, my, my blog is still there. Some of my old articles are there, but I'm in the middle of a re of redoing everything. So what Instagram is probably the, the, the best way to kind of catch up with me. Um, the book is going to come out this year. Don't know. I don't have an exact date. I'm also going to have a podcast this year that I'm going to be starting uh, as well. And um, uh, I have uh, you know, I have a small gin here in Utah, and um, and I do some I do some remote programming for weightlifting and strength and conditioning, and you know for people like me who are just you know fifty something that want to you know want to get their life back and become strong and all that stuff. So I got all that going on. Uh, but I said that like the best way to get me is, is on Instagram right now. Well, fantastic. Well, you're living a, a gold medal life and we sure appreciate you for not just everything you've done with coaching, but, but who you are as well. And, uh, thanks so much for, for spending part of your day with us. Thank you guys. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, and I, I'm, I hope that you guys, uh, are very successful with your podcast. Two, two, two good men here. Thanks so much, Sean. Thanks for being uh, just an amazing guest today. And uh, I learned a lot. I know Phil learned a lot. And I know our listeners are, are learning a lot too. So thanks for making the world a better place. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends about the Champion Conversations podcast and rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your platform of choice. You can also follow Jim on Twitter at Gold Medal Mind. Go out and be a champion today, and we'll see you back here next week.